Ah, oh, the good old days. You remember them? Remember the good old days? Some of you probably think I'm too young to actually remember the good old days. And I, I probably am too young to remember your old good, good old days. But, <laughs> but my good old days, I still remember them. They were just so good, weren't they? They didn't come with as many of the troubles that we have today. You know, this young generation that's coming up, they didn't have as many issues with them. Kids could walk around town without their parents worrying about where they were. There were no video games, so children played outside for hours. You know, just think, 100 years ago, it was a simpler time with less technology to mess things up, where people actually seemed to love the people and to help them out. All the good old days. When you had to walk a mile to the nearest grocery store to gather groceries for the week. When the life expectancy was around 50 years old or less. Oh, the good old days when you had to walk outside in the cold to use the bathroom in an outhouse because there wasn't indoor plumbing for most homes. Oh, the good old days when the average wage was 22 cents an hour. Oh, the good old days when regular household chores would last all day long, each and every day. When segregation and racism was normal. When there was a looming threat of new technology called nuclear bombs. When the economy crashed and interest rates were up. All the good old days. They're not quite as good as we remember them. But there's a reason that we often forget how hard these good old days were. Each generation has their own version of it. For some generations, it's the 1950s. For others, it's the 1970s. For others, it's the 90s. For others, it's the 2000s. We all have our own version of what the good old days were. And these good old days for each generation tends to be moments in our childhood or early adulthood where we didn't have as very many responsibilities, when we were oblivious to what was actually happening in our world, or we just simply forgot the struggles. Research will show that negative memories don't last in the brain as long as positive memories do. So we, we hold on to positive memories longer than we hold on to negative memories. So when we have negative things happen in our life, we go back to the positive times because we've forgotten about the negative part of those positive times. And we call them the good old days. It's a natural way for us humans to, to cope and to comfort ourselves when times get tough in the present. But what you'll often find is that the good old days were never actually, they never were here. They never actually existed because when you were living then, they, you didn't consider them the good old days. You considered them hard times. You looked at them and you saw your struggles that you were dealing with. But now as you're looking back, and certainly the world does get worse and it does seem to get worse as we move along throughout history and as we work towards the future. We can only expect the future to actually be worse than it is now, but the good old days never actually existed. It's because we long for simpler times. We long for days that we don't feel these negative emotions. We don't see all these bad things happening in our world. And the reality is they've been happening in our world for centuries but we've forgotten 
about the negative things in the good old days. And mankind for centuries has longed for these good old days. In Exodus chapter 16, you'll see this exact same thing happening to the people of Israel. In Exodus 16, we'll be jumping around the Bible a little bit today. But Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 1, it says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they came out of Egypt in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around with pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted, but you've brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The, the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them to see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against them. Who are we that you should grumble against us? See, the Israelites, what they were doing was they, they saw a negative in their current situation. They were hungry. They were tired. They were hungry. They've been traveling for a couple months now. And because they were so focused on the negative, they looked back to the good old days in Egypt. Good old days when they could have as much food as they ever wanted. They had all the meat, they had all the vegetables, they had everything that they could desire. They ate until they were full. And since they were hungry and tired from their travels, they longed for the days that they were fed. They longed for the days that they didn't go hungry, forgetting that they had so much troubles in Egypt. You know, they're just, they're really tired and hungry. In our words, we would say that they're just really hangry. You remember the Snickers commercials? You know, you're not you until you've had a Snickers, right? You're not you when you're hungry. That's what it is. Yeah, they weren't them because they were hungry, but they were really just more of themselves. And they looked back and they looked back at the positives of Egypt. They're like, Back in the good old days when we were in Egypt, we had all the food that we wanted. Right, right now we're starving, but we, we had all the food that we wanted. We had pots of meat just at our fingertips right in front of us, and we could have whatever we wanted. And right now we're starving in the wilderness. Now, what they forgot was how they were enslaved, that they, they worked, and yes, they did get fed, but they probably didn't get fed as much as they thought that they did or as much as they remembered. And they, they were enslaved. They were highly mistreated and oppressed by the Egyptians. They forgot about how Pharaoh treated them. And they grumbled against the Lord, crying out to him to save their people while they were in Egypt. But they forgot about that moment. They forgot about how, how much and how often and how, for how long they cried to God, save us from the oppression, save us from this enslavement to Egypt. But when God did, they found something else to complain about. And they longed for the days that they even wished, man, I wish God wouldn't have even saved us from Egypt if he was just gonna starve us in the wilderness. 
we can be so quick to express our displeasure with God. But what God does, what God responded, the way that he responded was he provided manna, which was this, this bread that fell from heaven. It was literally heavenly bread. I like to think that it tasted like Hawaiian rolls or Sister Schubert rolls. It's one of the two, maybe a mixture of both, but, but it was heavenly bread straight from God's hand himself. They didn't have to work for it, which if you're here last week, right, that was part of the punishment. That was part of what Adam was gonna have to do. He's gonna have to work the land so that he could get food. But what God's actually doing, he's saying, you don't have to work the land, I'll give it to you, right? Because there's no land to work in the wilderness. It's like a desert, right? I, I will provide all of the food. And in fact, the way that he presented this was like dew and it was like a frost that covered the desert floor that when the Israelites looked at it and they saw the frost and they saw the manna that was stored under it, they were amazed because they're like, I've never seen this before, right? Imagine if it just starts snowing in Arizona or, or starts snowing in the middle of a desert. You'd look at that and you'd be like, well, that's, that's crazy. That's a miracle because of how hot and how hot it is there. But in this place, they saw frost form and under the frost was the manna. It was this living bread and it, this manna, since it was a heavenly bread, it supplied all of the nutrients that were needed to survive, right? Uh, if you've ever tried, and I know Thanksgiving's not the best time to, <laughs> to talk about this, but if you've ever tried to eat healthy, right? There's a lot of different options. There's a lot of different ideas. In fact, most of the time, I don't even know what's actually healthy because some people will tell you, fruit is good. And then other people say, well, fruit's full of sugar, so it's going to kill you, right? So you don't need fruit at all. But then, you know, you also hear about vegetables and then you're like, well, you know, vegetables are good. I go to Walmart, I get my vegetables, I start eating my vegetables. And then you hear someone else saying, well, that's highly processed. It's filled with carcinogens because of preservatives. And if you eat that, you're going to die. I don't know what's healthy anymore. Right, to have a balanced diet in this day and age, you have no idea, right? You eat what you eat. Everyone knows that McDonald's isn't good for you, but it tastes kind of good sometimes, depending on which one you go to. And, and, and <laughs> but we know it's not healthy and, and, and trying to have a balanced diet, but God is saying, here's bread. It will give you all the nutrients. It'll give you all the protein, all of the vitamins, all the mineral, everything is in this bread. This is all that you need to survive, not just survive, but to thrive in a community as you're walking through the wilderness. And when you get into the promised land, you'll have more and, and you'll have this abundance of things that will taste good, right? The only thing with manna was that it was like bread. It didn't have much of a taste to it. In fact, I think scripture will say that it tasted like it had a little bit of honey. So it wasn't even that sweet. It was just a little bit sweet. And because it didn't taste good, they started complaining about it later. They were so quick to, dis, uh, to express their displeasure with God because after they got this manna, then you'll find it in Numbers chapter 11. It said, uh, verse four through six, the rabble with them began to crave other food. Again, the Israelites started wailing and said, this is the second time that they've complained to God, if only we had meat to eat. 
We remember the fish that we ate at Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Everything had flavor. And now we're just stuck. We've lost our appetite. We've seen anything. We've never seen anything but this manna. You're like, like, Lord, can you just put a little bit of spice in it? Put maybe a little bit more sweetness in there. Like, like spice it up. Make it taste good. Why does it have to taste so bland? Why does it have to taste so, so from heaven? Why can't it taste like it has a little bit of earth in here too? Right? You gave us these onions. You gave us all these plants. Why can't you just make it a little bit more flavorful? And this burns God with anger. He tells the people, or he tells Moses to tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For when you eat, the Lord heard you when he wailed, when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat. So God's like, I'll I'll give you meat. He says, and you will eat it. But you're not just going to eat it for one day or two days or five or 10 or 20 days, but for an entire month, you're going to have all this meat at your access until it comes out of your nostrils and you love the taste of meat because you've rejected the Lord who is among you and you've wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? See, the problem with looking back at the good old days and striving and wanting to bring that to the present is that God isn't meaning for the good old days to be here today. He meant them for when they had them, but were always meant to continue to move forward. And what the Israelites were constantly doing is trying to go back to where they were, trying to reach back at what they remembered was good. And God is sitting there looking at at them and he looks at us when we do it too. He's like, don't you remember all the troubles that you had? Don't you remember how hard it was in Egypt? Now you cried to me and I gave you exactly what you asked for and I led you out of Egypt and everyone was praising me. But then once we got into the wilderness and you looked back and you saw the Egyptian army uh, just completely destroyed in the Red Sea, you cheered and, and you praised me. But then you took a few steps and you're like, well, now I'm hungry. Now I want something more than what God's actually given me. And the Israelites, they, God provides these, these quail to come. When he provides the quail, I don't know if you know anything about quail, but I, I, looked, up, I looked them up this past week because I don't know much about quail either. And, and if you know more about quail, then this is going to be basic information, and it could be wrong. I don't know. But quail actually have really strong, uh, strong wings, but they prefer not to fly very high. In fact, it's because they get tired very easily. So when they, when they take off, they prefer to actually walk rather than fly. So they will walk and run as, as far as they possibly can to avoid flying. And when they finally have to fly because they're faced with a, with a body of water that they can't walk across, they'll stay as low as possible and they'll use the wind to help them, right? In other words, quail are just very lazy birds. They, they have these strong, powerful wings that can make them fly for miles, but since they're lazy, they get tired really easy, and they're like, ah, just forget it. Forget flying. I'd rather just walk. 
And what God does is he sends a wind so that all these quail go across the Red Sea. And when they go across the Red Sea, God carries them all the way there. But where he places the quail is what's a little bit interesting to me. He places them outside of the camp. And I think this was intentional because God, when he gave them the manna, the manna always showed up inside the camp, inside the camp boundaries. But when he sent the quail, they were outside of the camp. And the reason I think God does this is because he wanted them to see that in order to get what you actually desire, when you want more than me and what I offer you, you're going to have to go outside of me. You're going to have to seek into the world, into the dangers of the world. That's where you're going to have to go. This is what I provide. I provide the manna. I provide all of your needs, everything that you could ever ask for, need in your life. I'll give it to you here. And if you just hold on to me and with me for just a little bit, I will carry you and I will lead you into the promised land where you will have an abundance. But right here, I know it's not a lot, but I'll give it to you. But if you want more than what I'm willing to give you today, you're gonna have to go outside of my protection. You're gonna have to go outside of my presence. You're gonna have to go outside of the camp. And what did the Israelites do? They went out. And they gathered up 10 homers of meat for each family. They grabbed all these quail. And as they're eating, it says the Lord burned against his people. The anger of the Lord burned against his people. And he struck them with a, with a severe plague. Now, you would look at that and you're like, well, God provided the quail. So why would he then, everyone who ate the quail, would get a plague and they would actually die from this plague? And they would bury them um, in that same spot. The reason is because God will always give you an option to go outside of him. He, God's not a God that's going to say, hey, you have to stay with me forever and ever. If you don't want God, why would he let you spend an eternity with him? Why would he want you to spend an eternity with him? Why would he want you to want to spend an eternity with him if you don't even want him in the first place? So what God does is he, he says, if you go outside of me, you will die. Because without God, there is no life. Because if Jesus, as he claims, he's the, the bread of life, without the man and without Jesus, without the bread of life, you don't have life. You'll eventually die. And so when they walk outside of, of God's boundaries, he says, this is the consequence when you walk outside of me you will die. Oftentimes what we do is we do the same thing, right? We, we pray to God and we ask for him to supply needs when we're in danger, when we're, uh, when we're hurting, when we're in pain, we look to God and we're like, God, can you just, can you just come here and, and help me? I, I don't even know what I need, but just supply my needs. And God supplies the needs. And when he does, you get comfortable with the needs. You get comfortable with the needs being met and then pride sets in. And you're like, well, I can provide for these needs. God, can you, can you give me this too? Can you give me this too? God, God you've already taken care of all this, but, but I see everyone else has these things, right? And, and you kind of look into the world, but then 
Christians, we, we do the same thing. God, you've given me these gifts, but man, I really want that gift. Right? I, I really want the gift of being able to play the piano well. I'm not musically inclined. I can't sing any type of tune, but I wanna play the piano well. So God, why can't you just give me this instead of a servant's heart? Like, why'd you have to give me a servant's heart where I, I just love to serve people all the time? I just wanna play the piano and sit in my corner. Or uh, not that any of you envy this position that I'm in, but like, man, I wish that I could public speak. I wish I could talk in front of people for, for hours upon hours, like I do that, but <laughs> hours upon hours and just tell them about God's word. I wish that I had the knowledge. I wish that I had these skills and these abilities. And, we, and God's like, I gave you what you need. Why are you asking for more? When you know all good and well that I will bless you with an abundance later in your life. Even if that later in your life is heaven, there's an abundance that we'll experience in heaven and we can all look forward to that. But when we start trying to reach for the quail in our lives, when we try to reach outside of the camp, you see, we're not naive to this. We know when we do it. Just like the Israelites, they knew when they were doing it. They knew exactly what they were doing. We, we like to think of the Israelites, of, you know, they just saw it as God providing these quail, but they knew where it was placed. They knew that they would lose their hand of protection on them if they went out there, but they craved the meat so much that they left God to go and get what they desired. And we do that a lot. But the Lord continued after after those people had died, they continued to move on and God continued to provide the manna for the ones who stayed. And he provided the manna to the people of Israel. But just like clockwork, two chapters later, three chapters later, Numbers 14, it says, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said, if only we had died in Egypt. Here we are again. If only we had died in, in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is God bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt, to go back to those good old days? And they said to each other, we shall choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This was the final straw for God. Every single moment that they have tried to reach beyond what God had given them, this time they said, we're gonna appoint the leader. We're gonna overthrow Moses and Aaron. They even planned to stone Moses and Aaron. And they said, we'll kill Moses and Aaron. We'll gather our own leader and we'll march our way right back to Egypt because that's when the good old days were. That's when those traditions were so sweet. That's when those things uh, that we, uh, the ways that we did church were so much better than how we do them now. That's when the world was so much better when we were in Egypt. So they start planning this and it says the Lord burned with anger again. And he told Moses that he was gonna strike everyone in the camp with the plague. He, and he said to Moses and Aaron, he says, I'll wipe them all out and I'll give you a nation that's even better than these people because of their rebellion. And Moses actually pleads with the Lord to not do that. In Numbers chapter 14, 18 and 19, Moses says this to the Lord about himself. He said, the Lord is slow to anger. 
He's abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of their parents through the fourth, third and fourth generation in accordance with your great love. Forgive the sins of these people just as you pardoned them from, time, from the time that they left Egypt until now. So what Moses is saying, Lord, just continue to forgive them, right? I understand your frustrations. I understand why you're mad, but please just forgive them because it's in your nature to be slow to anger. It's in your nature to love and to forgive sin and rebellion. And the Lord replies in verse 20, I have forgiven them as you ask. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills this whole earth, no one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, not one of them will ever see the land that I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And when I think about those verses, I think about, I don't want that for me. I don't want to ever get to the place to where I, I'm looking at God and I'm complaining about everything that he's done in my life recently. Like there's a lot of things that I could complain about right now. But instead, I want to have this attitude towards God to say, yes, you know, whatever else is happening in my life, this is the manna that I need to survive. I need your word and I need your communication. And everything else is just white noise but here's what I need. So Lord, give me what I need. And I know that eventually you'll lead me to abundance. We don't do it for the abundance, but we, we know that it's coming because our God is good and he's full of mercy and grace. And how I know this is because even though Israel 10 times throughout this story complained to God, had something against God, said, God, we don't want you anymore. God, we don't want your leaders that you appointed. We don't want these people. We, we don't want any of it anymore. We want our own things. We want to work for our own things. We want to feel good about our own things. We want to go back to the good old glory days of, of when we were eating food and when we had all these things that we enjoy and we love so much. Even then, he says, I forgive you. So I know that the Lord that I serve, the God that I serve and the God that you guys serve he is so full of mercy and grace that even when you have these complaints against him, he will always say, I forgive you. But what worries me about so many churches and so many people is that when they continue to complain, God won't give them the promised land. Whatever land he's promised these people, he's eventually just gonna say, I'll continue to forgive them, but they'll never see the promised land. This generation will never see the promised land. But, verse 24, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. See, when you follow God wholeheartedly, his hand of protection will always be on you. And sometimes when he's trying to protect you, it seems like he's ripping you out of something that's good. Sometimes when he's trying to protect you, we think that he's trying to keep us from eating the quail, but instead he's saying, I'm protecting you from the damage that the quail is gonna have on you. 
I'm trying to protect you from what it is to walk away from me. And, and oftentimes when, and especially early in my, in my Christianity walk and following Christ, it seemed like this Bible was just full of all these rules that I need to follow. And I'm like, well, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't do all of these things. But instead what God is saying, those things are going to hurt you. I'm trying to protect you. And until you have that mental flip on your own to say God's not trying to prevent us from having this good, glorious life that we see on television and we see in all the movies, but instead he's trying to give us life abundantly. And our life abundantly is going to be different from the world's because it's going to last forever. But when I read this, this passage is actually this morning. This numbers 14, 20 through 24. I was thinking, I wonder how many generations of this church never saw the promised land of God because they're so focused on the traditions. They were so focused on the way that things have always been, how they were always trying to get back to these, these times where it was good. And maybe I shouldn't say this, but for some of you, that's when Byron Beck was here. And because Byron Beck's not here anymore, every single pastor that's come after him, you're like, that's not the glory days. That's not the glory days. We need a better pastor. We need a better pastor. We need a better pastor. Maybe you feel that way about me. I don't care. If you're constantly trying to go back to the glory days, you'll never see the promised land. But my servant, Caleb, Perhaps this generation of this church will be the generation that leaves those traditions behind, the ones that are destructive, the ones that need to change. And instead, we continue to move forward and we say, yes, during the season, all we get is manna. But since it's all that we get, it's all that we need. And because it's all that we need, we know that the promised land is coming where we'll see revival happen not only in this church, but in the surrounding churches and in the community and in the surrounding communities where people are going to know who God is. But listen to me very well. Like some of you, I, I know, I know because I've heard it. You look at my generation, you look at the generation that's coming up behind me and you're like, oh, like I wish that they could experience what we experienced. We could just walk around and be free and no one would worry about where you were because they knew that you weren't getting in trouble, even though we all know that you were. But man, I just wish that they could see what life was like before because all of this technology, all these video games, all these TV shows, everything else that we see in the world and we see as negative, we're like, it's affecting this this next generation in a, in a profound way, and it is. But something else that I want you to see and I hope that you've seen is that this generation that's coming up, these teenagers and these ones behind, they're the revival generation. They're the ones that are going out and spreading the word of God when you don't and when I don't. They're the ones that are standing on the corners of the courthouse with signs that say Jesus loves you when we aren't willing to. They're the ones that are asking and begging, and it's not just in this county. I've seen it all across General Baptist Ministries, teenagers coming together and saying, we don't want to stop worshiping God. We don't want to leave church. When we're so willing to leave church because we have something else on our agenda, we have 
we got to go save our seat at a restaurant. We got to go and we got to leave as quick as we possibly can. The teenagers are coming up and they're saying, we don't want to stop. Can you keep playing one more song? And when that song's done, can we continue to sing one more song? There's a revival that's about to take place and I truly believe that it'll be the third, awake, third great awakening in America. And it's up to us to be the faithful servant that sees the promised land. But if we're so focused on what church should look like because it's what we think church should look like instead of what God is actually building his church to accomplish, then we'll be just like the rest of the Israelites longing for the glory days and never seeing the promised land. The grace of God is so, so deep because he still forgives us even when we fail him. He still forgives us even when we do focus on the glory days. But the grace is also so deep in that when we are faithful and we're wholehearted in our expression and our gratitude and our love for who God is and what he's done through his son, he will give us the promised land. And that's why Caleb and Joshua were the only two in this generation to ever see it. Let you and let me, let this church not be that way. Let us be the Joshua's and Caleb's who don't define the church that we see it as the way that we think it should be, but that God builds his church how he desires to build his church and when he desires to build his church and in the way that he desires to build his church. So follow God wholeheartedly and know that his protective hand, his love and his mercy and his grace will continue to rest on you all the days of your life. And you and I will inherit the land that God has promised us.